Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Yumiko is excited to introduce their brand new style, the Fiona. This mock wrap back style resembles the popular Masha, but with a scoop front neckline and camisole straps. The front is seamless and classic, while the back is strikingly bold. With an overall flattering fit, we have a feeling that you are going to love it. A variety of ready-to-wear options are now available online and in stores, or you can even personalize your own. Additional ready-to-wear styles will launch mid-month, so be sure to stay tuned for new releases and all things Yumiko at yumiko.com. And follow them on Instagram at yumiko. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. In January and February of 2020, we put together a higher education series to explore dance programs in schools across the country. Today, we are adding to this distinguished list of programs as we talk with the Juilliard School's Director of the Dance Division, Alicia Graf-Mack. Alicia enjoyed a distinguished career as a leading dancer of Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. She has also been a principal dancer with the Dance Theater of Harlem and Complexion's Contemporary Ballet, and has danced as a guest performer with Alonzo King's Lines Ballet. She graduated from Columbia University and holds an MA in nonprofit management from Washington University in St. Louis. She began her inaugural season as the director of the Juilliard Dance Division in the fall of 2018. Each year, 24 new dancers are accepted into Juilliard's four-year BFA program. In addition to the daily ballet and modern technique classes, every dancer participates in classical and contemporary, partnering, dance composition, anatomy, acting, dance history, and so much more. In today's episode, Alicia tells us about her career, dealing with injuries, her personal experience with higher education, and what ultimately landed her at the Juilliard Dance Division. For more information on admissions, please visit juilliard.edu admissions. During this time of quarantine, Alicia has taught a beautiful online class that can be accessed on Juilliard's website. Be sure to follow Juilliard on their social media channels for more content from faculty, current students, and alumni as they unify during this time under hashtag Juilliard Thrives.
Thank you so much for joining us today, Alicia. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, to be fully honest, we've had questions prepared for you for, I think, three years. <laughs> but, wow. So it'll be, uh, it, it's great that you can finally join us. We're really happy that you're here this morning. Thank you for having me. So we'll, we'll start with what we always, uh, how we always get into it with our guests, which is how did you personally get your start in dance? I came out of the womb dancing. I was probably in the womb dancing. Um, my mother recognized at a very young age that I could pick up choreography. She, uh, at the time, had a modeling school. And so at home, she would uh, go over various exercises like walking, various poses, and then she would exercise at home. And she said that I imitated hmm. her movements and that anytime music was, was on, I was always moving. So um, in the same building where she had her modeling school in the evening, there was a dance class. And eventually the teacher of the class noticed that I was outside doing the entire class and eventually <laughs> just said, why don't you just let her take the class while you're teaching your classes? Um, so that's how I started. I was still in diapers. And <laughs> that's how the story goes. Oh my God, I, I took that. to dance immediately. And then around 11 years old, I started training much more seriously with the mm -hmm. goal of becoming a professional dancer. Uh, where, did, where were you training at that point at, at age 11? Mm -hmm. I'm from Columbia, Maryland, mm -hmm. uh, outside of Baltimore. And I trained at a small school. At first, um, I was training at Kinetics Dance Theater. And then uh, I finished my training from 11 years old on at Ballet Royale Academy under Donna Pidel. So how did you decide that you wanted to pursue um, professional, you know, becoming a professional dancer? And what companies did you initially have your eye on? Mm -hmm. um, I always had the dream of becoming a ballerina. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't really know what made me want to pursue uh, the profession. I just always knew. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. this video I posted online. Um, I was four years old doing some type of um, public cable network um, children's show. And the host asked me, what would you like to do when you grow up? And I was you know, immediately say, I'm going to be a ballerina. So it, there was no question in my mind. Like there was no other path for me. I don't know. I just always thought it was so. Uh -huh. um, and so because I had this interest, my parents really supported it by um, introducing me to companies and they would take me to the Kennedy Center to see performances. And the Kinetics Dance Theater had a small sort of black box style theater and they would host smaller companies um, there. So I was exposed to a lot of professional dance from a young age. And when I was a senior in high school, I was trying to decide whether um, I was good enough to go on to pursue the profession or to go to school. And at that time, there weren't as many strong colleges, conservatories, universities with dance programs that concentrated in ballet. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that the only option for me was to, you know, try to get an apprenticeship or into a second company. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I had a whole list of companies that I was going to audition for. However, I went to take a company class with Dance Theater Parlum in the fall of my senior year. And through that experience, uh, it sort of is a long story, but through that experience, <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I was offered a position as an apprentice with the Dance Theater Parlum. That's awesome. Had you seen so, <laughs> them perform before or was it just really like the experience of being in the studio with them that really mm-hmm. you caught the bug? <laughs> I actually had never seen the company in total perform before, but when I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, there was a festival in Colombia that happened every summer. And they would bring in many different dance companies and theater companies. And you could see, you know, many different um, performing arts companies at, at one time. And I remember being in the audience and seeing a couple from Dance Theater of Harlem. They were performing La Bayadere, Parada. And the woman came out and I realized without even probably really realizing it, that was the first time I'd ever seen a black ballerina on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, although I had seen many ballerinas and probably had not thought about race at all at that time. Right. Um, it struck me as something different. And I think that was the first time that I thought, oh my gosh, I, this is something I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, that woman was Christina Johnson who danced for Dance to Parliament for many years and for um, and in Europe for many years, and Donald Williams, who I had the opportunity to perform with as he was my partner when I actually joined the Dance Theater of Harlem. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I brought him, uh, within the first couple of weeks that I joined the company, I brought him a pair of point shoes that he signed <gasps> when I was 11 and said, uh, <laughs> it, he wrote, I hope to see you at Dance Theater of Harlem one day. Oh, uh, and he says to me still, like, you need to burn those point shoes. Do, do not show anybody those point <laughs> shoes. <laughs> um, so I think that it I was destined to, mm-hmm. it was fate somehow that I would end up at Dance Theater of Harlem. So I actually never auditioned for any other companies. Oh, wow. Um, Arthur Mitchell wanted me to start immediately. Uh-huh. And he and my mother created a plan for me to complete my high school studies in New York City mm-hmm. through professional children's school. And I, I completed my um, degree a year later through correspondence. Were there any wow. other dancers at that time that were of your age and going through high school? Or were you definitely the youngest? Um, I was the youngest. Uh-huh. Although there was another woman named Panika Jones, who is still uh, performing yeah. beautifully, who uh, joined around the same time I did, but she mm-hmm. had completed her high school and I mm-hmm. think that maybe she joined, um, I, I can't remember if it was as an apprentice, uh, of what her role was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's so beautiful. That's so funny. She they were is. so lucky to get the two of you at the same time then. Oh, uh, she's just gorgeous. <laughs> so you were getting some pretty important opportunities um, fairly early on in your time at DTH. Can you talk, us, talk to us a little bit about what that was like, what your um, first few years in the company were like and having to handle um, some of the more important workload that you were given. Yes. Yes, at that time, uh, you know, the company was doing um, very uh, famous, renowned works. 
And because of Arthur Mitchell's <clears throat> relationship with New York City Ballet, we were um, blessed to have so um, much of Balanchine's repertory. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my first year, I was learning Serenade and Four Temperaments and Bugaku and awesome. uh, Prodigal Son. Uh, we learned Western Symphony. We did Allegro Brilliant. We did Concerto Barocco. And I was there for the, the, in my first sort of period at Dance of Harlem, I was there for almost four years. Mm-hmm. And then I had to stop because of an injury and because I, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that short amount of time, I, I did a lot and I learned a lot. And I think that because there was so much to do, I didn't really have time to overthink it. I just mm-hmm. had to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was always shocked and surprised to read glowing reviews. Um, and I was excited to do the work. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of support at Dance Theater of Harlem. You know, the company is ranked as many ballet companies are. However, uh, I never felt any pushback from my colleagues, only a support when I was asked to do lead roles. Mm-hmm. Wow, that list of ballets is like <clears throat> the greatest hits of Balanchine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sounds so amazing. Now, was Balanchine what? a style that you were familiar with or was that like something completely new and like a learning curve for you? Yes. Not at all. I was not familiar with Balanchine style. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, for the first two years that I was with Dance Theater of Harlem, Mr. Mitchell called me Miss Minimal School <laughs> because <laughs> he wanted me to dance larger and take mm-hmm. up space and take huge steps and push my pelvis forward and, you know, really um, be sort of beastly in my work. Mm-hmm. And I think the combination of being young uh, and being so tall and not understanding um, the power of my image, mm-hmm. uh, I had to learn gradually that I could move um, with a sense of largesse and I could be empowered to take up space. Whereas when I was younger, I would always stand in the back. I would kind of hunch down because I didn't want to be seen behind, you know, amongst other people. So it's definitely a learning curve and just a part of the natural um, maturation process of an artist, I think. Mm-hmm. So one, one ballet you didn't mention that I remember because there was, I'm, I'm not 100% certain of the event, mm-hmm. but SAB became, or maybe I'm confusing things, but I think... It was, what, did you dance at the wall-to-wall Balanchine event at Symphony Space? Yes, I did. Yes. Okay, so I actually danced in that with you. Well, oh. I mean, it, it was a long event. It was 12 hours of Balanchine. So SAB, oh, we did a little ditty. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> we did like a little Suki taught a class, and then I did Tarantella. Um, and then we all, of course, stuck around to see everything else. And it was our first time seeing you dance. And I remember oh. you doing Agonpa and everyone... Oh, yes all the kids were just so blown away. And it was, and that is, of course, such a special thing because Arthur Mitchell was the originator of that yes. role. So did you have, did he work with you personally on it? Yes, he did. So I kind of talked about the fir- my first period of time at Dance Theater of Harlem. 
And then I took four years away from performing Mm -hmm. Um, because of my injury. I went to Columbia University. I was trying to retool and do something else with my life. But in my senior year of college, I realized that I really missed dancing. My body was feeling good. I was Mm -hmm. on the right medications that I needed to be on. And so I rejoined Dance Suite of Harlem in 2003. And so during that period, I was dancing Agon, Parta, mm-hmm. and uh, Apollo. Um, I did uh, Terpsichore, the role mm-hmm. of Terpsichore. So um, that was quite an experience to learn the Parta from Arthur Mitchell mm-hmm. uh, and be coached by him. And it revealed so many um, amazing nuggets of uh, information that Valentin passed on to him and then he was passing on to me. Right. Was there one maybe story or something that he told you um, during that process that really stood out to you of something that Valentin said? Yes. A lot of his coaching, um, while it had to do with perfecting the technique, Mm-hmm. A lot of the coaching had to do with imagery right? Mm-hmm. as you were uh, moving or letting the movement unfold. And so, you know, something as simple as allowing the man to give his hand, to present his hand and how you take his hand. Mm-hmm. Those types of things were so important uh, mm-hmm. to the work and to, to Mr. Mitchell. Um, there is a part where... Uh, in the beginning, the the couple sort of presents their arms and then the arms sort of weave together and intertwine. And while you think you're going to take an audience member may think that you're going to take the arm of your partner, you actually hold your own arm. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how that was basically presenting to the world the differences in skin tone between he and Diane Adams. Mm-hmm. And so how uh, deliberate you have to be about taking your hand, weaving it through the other person's arm, but then taking your own hand. Mm -hmm. Um, He also talked about how Balanchine was really intrigued by the circus and especially like American style circus acts and tricks. Mm -hmm. And so he talked about there's one part where the the man promenades the woman around in a little circle before they do a tondu uh, derriere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how um, it was like how a ringmaster can like parade a horse around the arena um, or, uh, you know, kind of makes the spectacle just out of walking around to build that sense of anticipation. Right. Um, Or in, uh, in another section where the woman is being partnered and she's holding her leg and sort of attitude back and then let's go. Mm -hmm. And so she's balancing with one hand with the man, uh, in a ponche and then the man all of a sudden turns over flips on his back and partners a woman from the floor mm-hmm. and that was another um image like okay let's do this now let's see if the man can flip down to the floor and continue to partner the woman there was this um sense of uh uh finding ways to keep the audience intrigued and suspended mm-hmm. as yeah. they go through the duet Love that. <laughs> that is such an iconic moment, too. And as an audience yeah. member, you're always like, how is that happening? <laughs> Even <laughs> as a dancer, <laughs> it's like, you know, so incredible to see every single time. So uh, if we can, I want to go back to um, 
a little bit of, I guess, your personal journey. First, you were talking about dealing with your autoimmune disorder and mm -hmm. injury, and then you going to school again and then coming back. That's a, a lot of, of things for a young dancer to work through. So yeah. um, when did you first become aware that you had this disorder? And uh, was it as a result of you uh, being in pain to begin with that you had mm. to poke around to find out this was what was happening? Yeah, this was a really difficult and confusing time in my life, especially because I was really young and I mm -hmm. I did I had lived a lot of life. I had just really danced and kind of lived in the dance bubble mm -hmm. and had never experienced any pain or injury during my young life. So um, I was at the Kennedy Center. Well, for a couple months, I noticed that my knee would swell up, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a lot of pain with the swelling, but it was right. just... You know, if a, if a joint is swollen, it doesn't have the same type of mobility. Right. right. So I go to the doctor and the doctor, you know, drained the, the orthopedist would drain the knee mm -hmm. and send mm -hmm. it off for testing and say, well, maybe it's wearing wear and tear or you're just tired or, you know, mm -hmm. kind of your body's reacting to the intensity of your schedule. And that happened three times that I went in and got my knee drained. And mm -hmm. finally, we had had a long tour touring season. And we were finishing the season at the Kennedy Center, which is my home theater, right. mm -hmm. um, performing to, you know, sold out crowds. And we were doing this piece called Metamorphosis that Arthur Mitchell choreographed. And that at that time, I realized, OK, now my knee hurts. Now I'm in right. it's swollen and now it actually hurts. So I went back to the doctor. We did more testing, another MRI. And the MRI showed that I had a tear in my meniscus. Mm -hmm. um, and so we thought, well, there's the answer. There was a tear in the meniscus. And that's why everything was swollen. Mm -hmm. um, so we went in. We had the surgery, which, you know, orthoscopically with a meniscal tear, you're just kind of like cleaning out the edges, shaving right. off a little bit. I didn't, nothing had to be repaired. So, you know, mm -hmm. the thought was I'd be back dancing in like four weeks or something like that. Right. right. Um, but after four weeks, my knee just got bigger and then mm -hmm. my foot got, my foot became Oof. swollen and then my entire leg just atrophied because I couldn't get into physical therapy because mm -hmm. everything was so swollen. They, like, there was nothing that we, we could do. Mm -hmm. So at that point, that's when we realized, okay, there's much more than something uh, orthopedic going on, like um, mechanically happening. There's something happening in my, uh, systemically. Right. And unfortunately, none of the blood tests and the fluid that we sent off to the lab revealed like uh, rheumatoid arthritis or anything mm -hmm. like that. Everything came back negative, which was really frustrating. So then I went on this journey of seeing many different rheumatologists to try to help me solve what this issue was. And eventually I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis. Um, which is a disease that sort of originates in the spine, but is in the same um, family as rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of has the same, similar symptoms. Wow. Um, so once I got that under control, that took a while, then I had to have another corrective surgery for my knee and then my foot because <sighs> they were swollen for so long that the patella was moving back and forth and then my foot didn't have the right mobility. So then I had to have corrective surgeries. 
wow. Yeah. So after, during that period, I decided I'm not going to dance anymore. This is too difficult. It's too depressing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to dance anymore. I had in my head that, you know, you dance, a ballerina shelf, like a performance life is really short and uh, I've, I'm going to miss my window. So I had already said to myself, I'm not going to dance. And how old were you at this time? I was 22. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I turned my, uh, energy towards recreating myself Mm -hmm. because Alicia, the dancer was just too depressing. And the thought of not being able to define myself that way was really difficult and confusing. So I Mm -hmm. thought, well, maybe I'll just switch directions completely. Then I don't have to worry about that or answer to anybody you know when you're on the street in new york city people ask when are you gonna when are you gonna be dancing still of course just so hard so uh i applied to one school columbia university and thank god i got in and i just completely dove in and became an undergraduate student and didn't really think about dance for the first couple years and then I, I uh, happened upon one of the student clubs at school that was a praise dance ministry. And I had never, I didn't really know that praise dance existed. I, mm-hmm. I had, I was just, I don't know. I grew up in a Christian and a Jewish household. My, my parents um, are of different religions and different races. And so we, we didn't really grow up um, in uh, having to decide, I should say, we were exposed to church and to synagogue and we celebrated holidays and, you know, celebrated events with family, but I had never been exposed to praise dancing. So Mm -hmm. I took to it immediately because many of the movements were from um, sign language. So -hmm. I could use my upper body and not really, I was not asked to use my legs. Right. (laughs) And, it just brought me back to the love that I have for dance and how it can be a ministry for people and how it can be a way to heal people and to communicate the gifts that God has given us. And yeah, I brought it sort of back. And so I thought, well, I think I want to just try to take class. Now my, my body feels good. I'm in the gym. I can run. I can, you know, take yoga and whatnot. Uh-huh. I'm going to yeah. try to take my class. So I, I went to steps at, you know, my, in my senior year, I went to steps in like my 10 o'clock hour, you know, the normal classes that I used to take. And I was totally in my college body, just wanting to take class. Mm-hmm. And the teacher who knew me from my dance theater of Harlem days said, well, it's good to see you. And you haven't lost everything. And <laughs> I was so <laughs> devastated. I was like, I was just coming to pay my little money and come take class. I didn't have the goal of being a dancer. But I, so I said to myself, all right, I'm not going to come at 10 o'clock when all the professional dancers are here. I'm going to come at three when no professional dancers are in and around. Mm-hmm. And I just looked on the board. I saw a class, uh, Myers. Like, all right, I'll go take that modern class. And it was Milton Myers who was teaching the class, mm-hmm. who is the resident teacher of the Ailey School, and he teaches Horton Technique. Mm-hmm. So uh, that started sort of my journey into training in modern dance. However, my time at, uh, at Steps, uh, word travels quickly, and <laughs> Complexions called me and said, Alicia, we hear that you're dancing a little bit. We hear uh-huh. that you're dancing. And I said, 
Well, actually, uh, I'm interested in doing marketing and um, philanthropic giving and development. Upon graduation, I had been working at J.P. Morgan in their foundation uh, during my time at school. And they were like, okay, that's that's great, but uh, we need a dancer because we had an injury. And can you go on tour with us during the summer? Oh, my gosh. Wow. I'm supposed to be taking this full-time job at J.P. Morgan in the fall, but for the summer, I don't have any work. So, yeah, I'll come on tour with you for the summer. Wow. And that's when the bug totally bit me. The day-to-day discipline of taking care of your body taking class. I love the process of being in rehearsal, problem solving, all those things mm-hmm. totally ignite my my mind and my spirit. And I just fell in love. So um, after the summer was over, I approached Arthur Mitchell and I asked, you know, I'm dancing. I don't know how long I'll be dancing, but I would really love the chance to come back to the company and finish mm-hmm. my career the way that I had intended. Mm-hmm. And he he took me back with open arms and I, I came back as a principal dancer and wow. he gave me the time to get the point shoes back on. We came <laughs> back really fast. We were touring and performing and um, performing to sold out houses. And then uh, the company announced about a year and a half later that they were closing due to financial reasons. Wow. How long do you feel like it took you to really kind of feel like yourself as a dancer again, obviously you'd taken a lot of time off. Your body had been through a lot of trauma. How long mm-hmm. did that process take you? I think in total for me to feel really good in my body, it probably took about two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The part of that time was I was at Columbia. So I mm-hmm. had the, the time to, to ramp up. Of, yeah. To ramp up. I, I, you know, I didn't have the goal of being a professional again but Mm -hmm. I did want to be a moving body and so that helped and then over the summer with complexions that's when you know I really took the summer to start to really retrain my body seriously Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a question about Mm -hmm. you exploring modern training because your body is so um, like what what people think of and what institutions can, can you know, seek from if yeah. a child, you know, a child comes in and they have long legs and the legs go up and they have a mm-hmm. high arch like you. And it's like, yeah. okay, you're in. Yeah. So, <laughs> but was that um, an impediment to modern training? Did you feel like you had mm-hmm. to, um, you know, not retrain yourself, but um, was it, was it as unnatural to you as ballet would be natural to you? Right. Well, uh, just two things to sort of uh, bring to light. Uh, While, yes, I definitely have a body that is suited for ballet. Um, I've always been really flexible. I was born with super floppy feet. I have the little head. I have a long neck, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole thing. Uh, I am like six foot two or three on point shoe. (laughs) And so when I was younger, that was always, you won't be a ballerina because you're too tall. Too tall, right. You will not become a ballerina because you're too tall. So that was always like the the big uh, barrier, I think, Mm -hmm. when I was training. Um, Even during the summers, you know, I come to SAB. I did summers at ABT. um, And not that that was a, a blatant message, but you kind of feel it, you know. Right. Uh, 
So that's difficult. But also when I was younger through my classes at Kinetics Dance Theater and even mm-hmm. when I was training as a ballerina, I always took at least one time a week modern dance classes okay, um, or jazz classes. So it wasn't completely alien to me. Right. Um, and then when I was studying at SAB in ABT over the summers, even in the evenings, I would go down. I don't think it was allowed at the time, but I did it anyway. I went to um, Broadway Dance Center and I would take mm-hmm. like jazz classes. There was no hip hop at the time because hip hop didn't really... Hip hop existed on the street, but not in the dance studio. Right, right. Um, so I was always moving in a different way, even though I was pursuing classical ballet. Sure. Um, but my classes with Milton Myers at Steps was the first time that I was taking a truly codified modern dance technique, mm-hmm. which was a Horton technique, and um, I took to it immediately because it follows many of the same. Um, principles of progression as a ballet class does like mm-hmm. it starts on your feet instead of um, starting on the floor right. like mm-hmm. a gram class does so immediately you you jump right into a certain type of physicality that I really enjoyed um, the hardest part for me about transitioning to a modern dance company was simply um, dancing with bare feet I mm-hmm. had and continue to not have any sort of callus on my foot and so the thought of gliding around across the floor or um turning or doing like uh ballets like um uh the river or uh streams that was uh Ailey's work that mm-hmm. was much more classical in style like, you want me to do multiple pirouettes on a bare foot? I just don't understand how that's going to happen. So many of my colleagues at Ailey, um, you know, had developed the calluses over years and years and years. Right. But I just basically made a shoe out of tape on my foot <laughs> and made yeah. a, put the makeup on it. And then that's kind of how I um, solved that issue. <laughs> Uh, but I loved it. I love being physical. I love the physicality. I think that actually dancing for a Balanchine based company, although we were on a point shoe, it taught you how to work with a syncopated rhythm, um, mm-hmm. how to use a torso, how to work off balance, all the mm-hmm. things that you would employ in a, in a modern dance, um, kind of style. Right. Mm-hmm. So you also hold an MA in nonprofit management, and you spoke a little bit about your aspirations before you returned to dancing about working um, in the nonprofit arena. So mm-hmm. how did that come about? Like, what part of your trajectory was that during? <laughs> right. Yeah. So when I was an intern at JP Morgan over my time at, at um, Columbia, when mm-hmm. I was an undergraduate student, Mm-hmm. I ended up in their um, corporate marketing department and I had to do rotations around the department. So I did everything from like brand management to your traditional advertising and marketing, like what you see on commercials on television. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did sponsorship, which at the time, because of their corporate kind of social responsibility, JP Morgan was sponsoring many different arts education and arts 
um, organizations. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did a study abroad in London. And so I worked in their London office and they sponsored the Royal Ballet. So I would go to the events and there would be like VIP receptions where various clients would then go to see the ballet or, you know, we wanted to make sure the logo was in the program correctly, you know, or prominently, right. um, that kind of thing. And of course, philanthropic giving was part of the marketing um, department. Mm -hmm. So I thought, wow, here's an organization that's giving money to the arts. This is cool. Um, and then when I went back to Dance Street of Harlem and sort of lived through the announcement that the company was closing, such an important company was closing, even while we were touring to sold out houses, mm -hmm. that didn't make sense to me. And I wanted right. to find out more about the administrative and business aspect mm -hmm. of dance. And then I joined Ailey, which you know, you walk in the building and you think, wow, they own the building as Dance Theater of Harlem also owns their building. Mm -hmm. But they, they own the building and they have this vibrant school and company and touring life and marketing and um, a very effective um, development team that's constantly fundraising and they do amazing um, fundraising events. And I was so curious about how the whole operation runs day by day yeah. mm -hmm. and uh i became sort of a men a mentee to sharon luckman who was the executive director of ailey at the time oh. so uh i danced for ailey for for about three four years mm -hmm. and then um i had another tear in the cartilage and you know more inflammation was flaring up so i had to leave uh ailey for mm -hmm. a couple of years and that's when I got my degree. So it kind of made sense uh, the trajectory of going into nonprofit management. Right. Because um, mm -hmm. I didn't want to kind of silo myself in only looking at the arts. I kind of wanted to understand um, nonprofit organizations and businesses in general. Right. Um, but I did concentrate most of my individual projects and things on uh, the performing arts. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is, it's really interesting to think of how many, like the breadth of all your experiences, education-wise, dance-wise, and it feels in a way like all that came together in fall of 2018 when you were named the director of Juilliard's dance division. All mm -hmm. those things will feed into what you now do. Um, but how did that opportunity uh, even come about to begin with? Sure. Um, you know, it's funny because when you go through your life, it feels very chaotic, you know, like all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna move to St. Louis and pursue this degree. And I moved to St. Louis because I was dating someone that I had met at Columbia mm -hmm. um, who lived in St. Louis. And so I thought, well, maybe this is my chance to actually uh, be together and not be doing like a long distance mm -hmm. uh, dating. That's how I ended up in St. Louis. And so during the time that I was in school, I had to figure out what I would do to make some money. Mm -hmm. And I had never really aspired to be a teacher because I knew how hard my coaches and teachers worked. Right. And I thought, I just don't have that type of like energy um, to give <laughs> to another person. <clears throat> and very ignorantly also, I felt that to be a performer was like the highest honor. And 
it wasn't until I started really teaching and really dedicating my time to the students that I realized that I was completely wrong, that the mm-hmm. highest honor or the, the thing that kind of inspires the most sense of pride in me is to see my students achieve. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started teaching at a school called COCA. It stands for Center of the Creative Arts in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And it was a, an after-school-based um, nonprofit organization that had a pretty strong dance division. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was training middle school and high school age students in their pre-professional division. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just loved it. I did not expect to have that sort of uh, turn in my life. Right. And so when I received my master's degree, um, there was an opening at Webster University for a professor because uh, an existing professor there um, uh, left the job, their job uh, unexpectedly, and they were looking for someone immediately to fill in. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was there. I was available. I had come mm-hmm. in and taught a couple of master classes, so I had a relationship with the school. Right. And so they said, um, now you have your degree and uh, would you like to come and join us as a, you know, an associate professor? Like, what? <laughs> when does that ever land in anybody's lap? You know, uh-huh. school benefits, um, tenure track, the whole thing. So wow. Uh, I accepted. And so I was teaching full time then as a professor uh, at this school, Webster University, that has a strong conservatory program. Um, And that's how I I started teaching. And uh, I realized then that all of the skills that I had gained, the administrative skills, teaching skills, the performance experience and the experience of dancing in both ballet and modern dance companies, um, it all came together. You were just perfectly set up for that. Exactly. (laughs) Like, wow. So cool. Yeah. So I really enjoyed doing that. I taught for Webster University for a total of um, almost four years. And I moved to Houston for some time um, in 2017 um, for my husband's work opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for teaching work there. I was teaching at University of Houston just as an adjunct uh, Mm -hmm. teacher. And I was looking for more work um, because there are not a lot of schools, uh, universities that concentrate in dance in Houston. I was kind of scrambling, to be honest, um, trying to find other work. I thought maybe I will just go into development or fundraising for an arts organization. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure it out. And at Mm -hmm. that time, I had been in Houston for six months and I received a call from someone who was uh, leading the national search committee for the new artistic director of the dance division at the Juilliard School. Mm-hmm. So the woman called me and she said, hey, we're trying to gather names of candidates. So I was about to offer some names of colleagues that I thought would be great for that job. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 no. Your name has come up uh, a couple times of people that I've asked. And so I'm encouraging you to apply for this job. Wow. And I thought that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> First of all, I don't have, I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking I don't have enough experience, um, as a professor and I have not been like a chair of a department or a division yet. Um, I had also just had my second child. She was eight months old at the time that they mm-hmm. called. 
We had just moved to Houston because I told my husband it's his time and I'm supporting you and your career, <laughs> the whole thing. And yet and still, um, my mentor, Sharon Luckman, and my husband were just like, you know what, What's, what could be the harm of applying? If anything, it's a good exercise in making sure your resume is tight and you work on your interviewing skills and all of those things. Yeah, that's true. I did. And I went through the whole process, and I think that my interviews were, and I had several, because I just never thought that this would actually become the possibility. And so I was so relaxed and so honest with my my responses to questions. Um, and then I think as the process started to unfold and um, you know, I got closer, I thought, you know what, actually, I am the right person for this position. <laughs> and actually, I do have the experience that's necessary. Uh, I sort of had to speak it into existence. Right. So what are some of the positive changes that you are most seeking to bring to the dance division at Juilliard? Yes, I have um, many many different ideas for uh, to fulfill sort of a, a vision right. for mm -hmm. the future of Juilliard dance. And I think um, a lot of that had to do with the culture here at Juilliard. Um, when I was interviewing, you know, I was trying to find as much information that I could online. I'm not a Juilliard alum. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of inside information and sure. I realized just in terms of marketing and what's put out there, there's not a lot. So it, it, it seems like a very closed um, school mm -hmm. um, and very traditional. When I just saw pictures and when I saw videos, you see very little diversity in terms of the racial makeup of the students and, um, you know, just wanting to see that the school reflected what New York City looks mm -hmm. like yeah. as it's embedded right in the middle of the city. Um, so I, I spoke about that a lot, and I believe that in the last year and a half that I've been here, I've gone through now two recruiting cycles, that that is definitely changing, um, and across the school as well. And the, our president, Damian Wetzel, is very interested in keeping equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging at the mm -hmm. top of the priority list for mm -hmm. Juilliard. Um, that also means including um, a multifaceted approach to uh, curriculum so that we're involving a world dance class. And when we present repertory, that we make sure that we have choreographers of color um, and that we celebrate that work as well. Um, that in our dance history classes, that we're not just looking at the history of Western style dance, but also looking at um, the larger global, you know, landscape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been wonderful for our students. I think also um, that Juilliard Dance Division um, has been really successful in training performing artists and making sure that they're prepared for the field. But I think in today's world, where there are far fewer jobs and, you know, full-time contracts that students have to be uh, tooled with many other skills. So we have introduced a pedagogy class so that if students want to go into teaching or have to do, or, you know, want to teach 
in between jobs that they have the experience and knowledge. Um, we've offered now like Pilates uh, certification opportunities. Wow. Yeah, in the summer they can um, work towards that certification. Um, they're taking now, there's another level of composition, comp one and two already existed, but comp three involves the use of new media and technology. Um, we've also introduced an entrepreneurship class for students who are developing um, businesses or want to become directors or, you know, are incredible choreographers and are ready to create the opportunity if they don't see them coming their way. Right. So that when they when they leave here, they're ready um, and not just sort of waiting for a performing job to mm -hmm. pop up. Right. Yeah. So for our last question, um, can you tell us a little bit about the performing opportunities that the Juilliard students get? Like what mm -hmm. sort of repertoire they'll be performing throughout the year and how you think that prepares them for their next steps? Yes. So. The the thing that I'm most struck by daily, even though I'm here every day and I'm with the students every day, is the talent level of our students. Um, they are, you know, handpicked. Uh, we try to find students who are um, capable and talented and offer a unique kind of diverse set of skills. Right. And so the repertoire that we are able to curate for the dancers um, is comparable to many professional uh, contemporary and modern dance companies. Right. Um, so what's great about Juilliard and what I think makes it stand out from the rest is that it is a true sort of hybrid of a professional dance experience and uh, an educational experience. Right. So, for instance, um, this year for our uh, spring dances, we had been working on Donald McHale's Rainbow Around My Shoulder, which is his signature work mm -hmm. and also one of the hardest pieces that any dancer can take on in terms of the physicality and emotion that is required. Mm -hmm. um, we, we are doing Trisha Brown's Set and Reset slash Reset which is a um, sort of a, an opportunity for the dancers to reimagine the 1983 version of the work. So they learned all of the phrase work um, of the piece that was originally choreographed by Trisha Brown. And then they were tasked by the stager um, and in coordination with the stager to reset the entire ballet based on um, improvisation and prompts. And so it is our unique version of that mm -hmm. piece of rep, How which cool. is also awesome and interesting. Yeah. Um, and then we are doing Paul Taylor's Promethean Fire, which we is did that. <laughs> we did that at Miami City Valley. That's so cool. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We actually had asked, uh, could we rent your costume? <laughs> we did it actually for this production. So uh, as you just have revealed, we, we are really blessed to do, um, very high caliber, high quality work. And then we bring in choreographers to create new work, um, for the dancers. So this past year they worked with, uh, Amy Hall Garner, 
Jamar Roberts, who's the new resident choreographer of the Ailey uh, mm-hmm. company, and will be working uh, on a commission with New York City Ballet this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked with Andrea Miller, who's the director of Galim, and she uh, is a she's a Juilliard alum. Actually, mm-hmm. so is uh, Amy Hall Garner. Um, she will also be working with New York City Ballet, actually, in the next uh, year. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Petronio, who, of course, is uh, one of the staple sort of American dance choreographers of our time. Mm-hmm. That's so great. So just really quickly before we have to let you go, um, if anyone wants to apply to be in Juilliard's dance division, how do you suggest they go about doing that? Yes. So we've just completed our uh, admissions and audition cycle. Mm-hmm. But if a student is interested in applying to our school for the the 20, let's see, it would be 21, 22? Mm-hmm. Yes, 21, 22 school year. <laughs> Not this upcoming, but the next one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they should be prepared to apply online before the December 1st uh, admissions cutoff date. And then they would come to an audition either somewhere close to their home city because mm-hmm. we travel for the auditions or in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that is really helpful for students um, is that we have a, a summer intensive, a three-week summer intensive here for high school-age students. Oh, great. And oftentimes that's a way for students to kind of gauge, do I want to go to a conservatory for my education? Is this a life that I could see myself right. uh, uh, pursuing and uh it's wonderful for us to get to know the students too so oftentimes yeah. we see the students who participate in the summer intensive we see them in auditions and have some amount of familiarity with their dancing yeah it's so much better so, than just one audition class right that sounds like an right. opportunity for the students to really right. show you who they are yeah, and uh, I mean, it, the summer intensive shouldn't be seen as like a long audition process. <laughs> we, certainly, we certainly see dancers on on uh, during the audition season that we've never met before who are just, you know, are equally, um, they have equal access to, you know, uh, being considered. Right. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it is helpful for the student to then know this is the school that I want to go to and really... Right understand they stay in the dorms they have classes with all of our faculty they get a real sense of what uh, Juilliard education is all about and everyone can go anyone can go to our website um, and under the dance division heading or admissions could find out more information on how to apply perfect well thank you so much for taking the time it was so much fun to speak with you and hear your story and learn more about Juilliard Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Alicia. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week.
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.